All right. The message tonight is what about doctrine? In an examination at a Christian school, a teacher asked the following question. What is false doctrine? Up went a little hand, a little boy. And there came this answer, quote, It's when the doctor gives the wrong stuff to people who are sick. Now, although the little boy had obviously confused doctrine with doctoring, he arrived at the correct definition. How true this is regarding so much false doctrine being taught in the church today. The common response to many teaching things that are contrary to the scriptures is that they don't want to fight over doctrine, but simply love one another. They profess that this is what Jesus did, ignoring that Jesus called every person to confess and repent of their sins first, then to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him in a godly lifestyle according to his words. Their philosophy of ministry is one of cultural political correctness today, more than ever before, having a liberal view of Scripture, not valuing doctrine. It's like you have a license to drive, but there's no laws. You just ignore the laws. How do you think in what do you think will happen to you on the road <laughs> and everybody else? Incredible. We want to answer the question, what about doctrine, in five ways. First, the explanation of doctrine. Second, we'll look at the need for doctrine. Thirdly, the authority of the scriptures for doctrine. Then, fourth, the believer's duty regarding doctrine. And fifth, the way to determine what is doctrine. We'll go one by one. If you missed them, all five of them, don't worry about it. The first one is the explanation of doctrine. The distinction made about doctrine is important. There are two words basically used in the Greek New Testament for the word doctrine, as we will see as we move along. But there are also various forms of these two words throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy and Titus, distinguishes good from bad doctrine by the word sound or healthy. The Greek word gives us our English word hygiene. The word appears 12 times in the New Testament. All are found in the pastoral epistles except for four. I'm going to give you some of them. 1 Timothy 1.10, In 2 Timothy 1.13, Titus 1.9.13, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. That's some of them. Now, the reason was that false teachers at Ephesus were teaching 
other doctrines. Heterodidascalio, hetero, different. Heterosexual, homosexual, different, same. Same root. The dascalia, teaching, either content or the act of teaching. Paul is writing to where he left Timothy in Ephesus. These false teachers were already teaching heterodidascalia, different forms of doctrine. They had deviated from the truth of God's word. In fact, Paul the Apostle in Acts 20, when he met with the Ephesian elders for the last time, prophesied that some of them were going to raise up disciples after themselves, bringing in false teaching. Apparently, this has already taken place, not this time when he writes them. Now, Paul commanded Timothy to charge some to teach no other doctrine. Herodotoscolia, 1 Timothy 1.3. Very straightforward. Paul said, if anyone did not consent to wholesome words, same word for hygiene, Jesus, the words of Jesus, and doctrine according to the godliness, he was to withdraw himself from them. 1 Timothy 5.3. These are pretty um, incredible commands in the imperative tense. One word that is translated doctrine appears 21 times. Didascalia, and it means instruction or teaching. Twice it is found in the Gospels, Matthew 59, Mark 7, 7. Twice in Romans, Romans 12, 7, 15, 4. Once in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 14. Once in Colossians, Colossians 2, 22. Eight times in 1 Timothy, 1, 10, 4, 1, 4, 6, 4, 13, 4, 16. 517, 6, 1, and 3. Three times in 2 Timothy, 3.10, 3.16, Four times in Titus, Titus 1, 9, 2, 1, 2, 7, 2, 10. Notice the majority, as I said, is in the pastoral epistle. First, secondly, in Titus. You know why? Because they're epistles written to and for the church. The most important thing in the church is doctrine. Of the 21 times it appears, 15 appear in the pastoral epistles and deal with church order and responsibilities for the pastor. The most prominent appearance is in 1 Timothy written to stand against different unsound doctrines being taught. And Timothy was to instruct the brethren of the good, sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 10. Now the second word for doctrine appears 31 times. Dedeki, meaning the act of teaching or the content of what is taught. It appears regarding that the people were astonished at his teaching in Matthew 7, 28 and 22, 33, when Jesus taught. It identifies the apostles' doctrine 
in which the church continued in and filled Jerusalem with in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and Acts 5.28. It describes the false doctrines taught by Balaam and the Nicolaitans in Revelation 2, 14, and 15. The source of doctrine is always based on what is found in the scriptures and taught. God's revelation of truth about God, man, sin, or anything that he's revealing. We would not know anything about it as absolute truth unless God revealed that objective truth. Doctrine must be distinguished from dogma. That is man's statement of truth as set forth in a creed, not necessarily being biblical. The Greek word for dogma, dikoin, means to think seem or to seem good. A good example of dogma would be the teaching of the Catholic Church that Peter was the first pope. There's no biblical basis for it. Or for the priesthood. There's no biblical basis for it. It's a Catholic dogma. Or the perpetual virginity of Mary. It's not biblical. It's a dogma. The doctrine of God is the revelation of God's instruction and teachings to man about the things of God and man that cannot be found systematically or that can be found systematically through the scriptures. You're going to be able to find from Genesis to Revelation because he's going to be touching on them all along. And the first 12 chapters of Genesis are the foundation to everything else that's revealed in Scripture. Very important. Why do we need doctrine, some say? As I said in the beginning, they say, well, let's just love one another. But see, love, apart from doctrine, will degenerate into carnality, self-centeredness, and perversion for two reasons. First, because there is no knowledge of God or the things of God apart from the word of God. So you become God. I become God. I call the shots. Secondly, because human passion, which is self-centered and self-serving, will always triumph where there is no godly fear. Proverbs 1, 7, 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Simple. Now, the record of the early church tells us that they understood the importance of doctrine. Acts 4.2, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They gave an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15 says, as we are to do. To do this, you must understand the teaching of the Bible doctrine. A Peanuts cartoon pictured Lucy and Lioness looking out the window into a stormy downpour of rain. Boy, said Lucy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It will never do that, Lioness replied confidently. 
In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. You've taken a great load off my mind, said Lucy, with a relieved smile. Sound theology, pontificated lioness, has a way of doing that. Christians that don't study or believe in doctrine are like kites without a string. They get blown away with the wind. They have no anchor. Foot washing is not a biblical doctrine, though certainly you can do it, but it's not something that's taught as a doctrine. Jesus did it to his disciples to teach them what it meant to be servant of all. Some teach that the Bible teaches that all must speak in tongues as the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they're wrong. They're unscriptural. Paul clearly tells us that all do not speak in tongues in 1 Corinthians 12.30. So how can you teach that? Because you don't study. You just repeat the false information like a parrot because somebody's given it to you. Here's the simple principle. Receive and verify. Simple. Others teach a person has to be water baptized to be saved. But it's not sound doctrine. Though we do believe that you should be water baptized, but it doesn't complete your salvation, it doesn't add to your salvation, nor does it take away from your salvation. For you are complete in Christ Jesus, in Him dwells the sum total of deity, in Him you're complete. Colossians 2, 9. And 10. And at the cross in John 19.30, Jesus says, It is finished. The atonement. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The practice of being slain in the spirit. Some of you may say, slain what? <laughs> Where they touch you and you fall back. And you sit there wiggling like a worm. It's not biblical. But it sure looks spiritual, doesn't it? But it doesn't glorify God. And if God is going to knock you down, why are there catchers? They playing baseball? About the only ones who came close to being slain in the spirit were Ananias and Sapphira. They never got up. A spiritual, emotional experience that is not biblical. You must be able to say, when they ask the people at Pentecost, why are you, why do we hear you in every man's dialect? And Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he gave a biblical context for what was going on. If you cannot point your finger in context, for what is going on and what you're practicing in your life, it's unbiblical. End of argument. You may not believe it, it doesn't really matter. That's doctrine. 
The doctrine of casting out demons from Christians, sometimes called deliverance ministries, are all over the place around here. And so Christians spend the majority of their time giving attention and glory to demons and Satan. When there is not one example in scripture that a Christian was possessed by a spirit. Not one. What it is, is the works of the flesh. And so people around casting out the demon of lust, the demon of gluttony, the demon of smoking, the demon of this, the demon of drugs and drunkenness and everything else. And if you just turn to Galatians 5, they're called the works of the flesh. You're to reckon those dead, not cast them out. Once again, willfully ignorant by not studying the scriptures. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, 1 John 4, 4 says. Light and darkness can't occupy the same vessel, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 says. You must go to the word of God. Do you know how to define doctrine? Hmm. Second, the need for doctrine. First, that God's authority be established, not man's. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 59. He says, and in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines as doctrines, the commandments of men. So rather than God's word, they teach their own doctrines. That's what we see today much. Matthew describes Jesus as distinct from the religious leaders, saying, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, Matthew seven twenty nine. He often declared, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you. Jesus never quoted anybody. Only the scriptures. Man's bent is to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, revealing that he knows nothing the way he ought. First Corinthians 8, 2 says. It's by pride that Satan fell. That's why we're not supposed to put a novice in the service of God until he's mature enough, lest he be lifted up in pride and bring destruction to himself and others in ministry. Simple. Secondly, that the word of God may have free course to refine the believer. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any twitches or piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints of the marrow were told. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart, Hebrews 4.12 says. It cuts you deep and wide and repeatedly. The power of God. Men's souls refers to the intellect, emotion, and his will. Man's spirit refers to the real person who he really is. He's spiritually. I am spirit, you're spirit. And we're spiritually dead, prone to sin by nature, till we are born again. And once we're born again, we still have and retain the present sin nature, but we are given the divine nature, as Second Peter chapter 1, 3, and 4 says, and we are born into warfare. So we must put on the armor of God, the mind of Christ, yield to the Spirit of God, and do good warfare, reckoning the old man dead daily. Man's body refers just to the physical shell. 
with my spirit mistaken from God, this old carcass is just going to just drop to the ground. And they're going to barbecue it and scatter it. And then God's going to raise it up one day when he comes for the church. But the minute I give my last breath, I'll be instantly present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. Not in my glorified body. Yet I won't be naked. What am I in? I don't know. But I'm instantly present with the Lord. Paul says in Corinthians 5. Very clear. Paul prayed for the Philippians that their um, whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. To the Philippians, Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2.5, the mind of Christ, the example of a servant. To the Ephesians, he says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Ephesians 4.23. To the Romans, he says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove it is the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Romans 12.1 and 2. What, what is it that we don't understand? <laughs> but also that the believer be not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, which I've already implied. The goal is the maturing of the saints, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. That is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not to evangelize the world as so many churches teach. The purpose of the church is to perfect the saints, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. The privilege and responsibility of the saint is to evangelize. But the purpose of the church is to perfect the saints. We're to grow in Christ. We're to develop in Christ. We're to mature in Christ on every level. The Holy Spirit warns us about the latter times in 1 Timothy 4.1. The proclamation is to be uh, is explicitly clear that by the word of the Holy Spirit to the church, warning concerning the nature of the latter times. Some will depart from the faith in the latter times at various seasons. The method is by giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons through false teachers. Very clear. Latter times is from the first coming to the second coming. That's latter times. There are various examples of dangers of teaching with no regards to doctrine. Jesus said, You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. When they asked about Whose wife is this guy, uh, this woman going to be? All seven sons had them, right? <laughs> you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Peter says, as natural brute beasts speaking evil of the things that they understand not. Second Peter 2, 12. Peter again says they twist them. To their own destruction, the scriptures, Second Peter three sixteen, the scriptures of Paul. Paul says they pervert the gospel, Galatians one six through nine, which he says twice, and let them be anathema, the strongest word of damnation in the Greek. Robert E. Lee said, 
Quote, in all my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light and strength. An African woman was once asked if she enjoyed reading her new Bible. She replied, Sir, I am not reading this book. This book is reading me. It's been said that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And someone who is falling apart usually belongs to a Bible that isn't. Is your Bible all marked up? Written on, tore up. Mine's full of beaner grease. I can have a lot of grease in my body. I know, my pages and everything. Is it used? Or is it nice and pretty? Hmm. The value of Scripture is knowing God's authority that's over your life and mine. I am his child and his servant, and so are you. John one twelve. To those who believe, he gave authority to become the children of God. The growth of a believer is identified in three stages, as you know. A child, a young man, and a father. Each stage to be lived out to spiritual maturity in 1 John 2, 12-14. There's a lot of people in the church that, became, that stay infants all their life, 20-25 years. They don't grow. They just come in and walk out. As others stay as young men, that's as far as they go. Then there's others that press on, and their children, their young men, their adults, their fathers and mothers. They move on with life. When you and I see a child out there that, that's a child and he has a lot of potential, and then we see him going through his teen years, and there's great hope for them, and then we see them never advance any further, and you see them at 40 or 50 years old, and they're still like in high school. It's kind of a sad picture, isn't it? It's a picture of a lot of Christians today. Many of them. The greatest danger today is the amount of deceptive doctrine being taught within the church, not from outside the church, even as when Jude wrote to the men who had crept an unnoticed stealth to deceive Jude 4. Same word we use for a stealth bomber, undetected. The book of uh, the prayer of Jabez, you might remember it back. Some of you have been walking with God for a while. By evangelist Bruce uh, Wilkinson. That was used as a formula prayer to be blessed and to get things from God. Another corrupt twist of this faith movement of uh, name it and grab it. You find his name in Second Chronicles 4.10. These people just make doctrines up out of little things that out of context everything. The Christian community is going crazy. The bookstore's making a lot of money. Wow. The name Jabez means to grieve or sorrow. This is really what the book should have been entitled for any formula prayer that guarantees you a result is grieving to God. God's not a genie. He's not your servant, nor mine. He's the master. We're the servants. The book, Jesus Calling, by Sarah Young. Ooh, boy. Has the Christian community gone crazy over this? Supposedly, she has received dictations directly from Jesus. 
And the Christian community has just raved over this. Yet, her dictations are nothing but from demon spirits, New Age channeling, contradicting the Word of God. And the basis of her book is from a 1930 book called God Calling by Two English Women. The content of her dictations contradict the Bible, deceiving believers. There's the book called Have Heart, subtitled Bridging the Gap Between Heaven and Earth by Steve and Sarah Berger, which he's a pastor of one of the Calvary chapels over in Tennessee. And they have written about the death of their son, tragic death of their son, and I, I can't even imagine. But they have written this book regarding the ongoing appearance of their son to them and other friends, and their son speaks to them and appears to them going back and forth from heaven to earth. Totally contrary to Scripture. And by the way, Chuck Missler and Greg Laurie endorsed the book. Wow. Crazy. Listen to Second Peter 2, 1 and 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destructions, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Once a person dies, you cannot come back. Your loved ones that are in heaven, they say, are looking down, observing, and many of our family members come and visit us once in a while. Really? And, and, and Greg Laurie endorses this and Chuck Misler? Wow. Do you see the need for doctrine? I hope so. Thirdly, the authority of the scriptures for doctrine. Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. God spoke in the past and in different manners. Here he says, God spoke in various times. Um, the word there means many portions, uh, meaning books and times, both Old Testament and New. And then it says, in various ways, and the word means many ways or methods. Dreams, visions, miracles, signs, wonders, theophanies of the Old Testament. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets in the Old Testament audibly, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we can name all the others. God has spoken in these last days, it says, verse 2. Spoken to us by his son. The ultimate revelation and final revelation that God speaks through is his son. The Old Testament was progressive revelation. Jesus is the fulfillment of all. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He is the final word to man. 
And if you are teaching or if you are listening to teaching that contradicts the word of God, you are part of the deception. Jesus warned, he says, take heed what you hear and how you hear. The church is very lax today, very compromising, very liberal. God tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The word inspiration there in verse 16 means God breathed, literally expired out from God. This includes Old and New Testament. The word of God is profitable for specific things, it says in 16, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Godly life. The purpose is with design and intent to make him completely adequate, the believer, in spiritual matters for life. Listen to verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly quick for every good work. Everything that God has in store to live in a way that's scriptural, honoring God, directed by his spirit. You see, men were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 tells us. The prophecies of the scriptures are not of any private interpretation. There it says, not one, verse 20 and 21 of Second Peter 1. This scripture is often abused and misused, both in the interpretation and the application, by saying that it is teaching that a person cannot give a subjective interpretation to scripture. Now, Though this is a true biblical principle, that the scriptures are not for subjective interpretation, but for biblical exposition, that is not what this text is saying. Peter is teaching, rather, that these men who wrote the scriptures never spoke of their own impulse, origin, or will. That is the word. In other words, when God directed and guided them to write, the Spirit of God came upon them. If you read the scriptures, you can tell the difference between Matthew's writings, Mark's writings, Paul's writings, John's writing. The personality comes through. And yet they were directed and guided and moved by the Spirit of God, inspired to write the scriptures. In fact, the word moved in verse 21 of Second Peter 1 literally means carried along by the Holy Spirit to ensure the reliable recording of divine truth called plenary verbal inspiration. Big theological word. It means every Word and letter is directly inspired and revealed by God. So that what you have in your lap, ladies and gentlemen, is God's inerrant, infallible word. All of it. The message from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus, the Messiah. 
a red thread all the way through. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth, he said in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation nineteen ten says. Jesus said, You search the scriptures to the Jews, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, John five thirty nine. The New Testament is on the same level as the Old Testament. Peter accepts Paul's writing as scripture, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Paul combines Old Testament words and the words of Jesus and calls them scripture, Deuteronomy 25, 4, Luke 10, 7, 1 Timothy 5, 18. Jesus himself told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would teach them, show them things to come, and speak for them in John 14, 15, and 16, and many other things that he shared with them before he went to the cross. When the noted Dr. Pillick of Mellorshot heard Martin Luther lecture in the University of Wittenberg, he said the following, quote, That monk will confound all the learned doctors, propound a new doctrine, and reform the whole Roman church, for he studies the writings of the prophets and evangelists. He relies on the words of Jesus Christ, and no one can subvert that, either with philosophy or sophistry. Amen. <laughs> Jesus said, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 5, 18. Even the little markings are inspired. They will be fulfilled. One-fifth of the Bible is prophecy. And many have been fulfilled. In fact, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his first coming. What would make you believe that he's not going to fulfill the rest? Many of them as he's dying on the cross. The men of God today are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. To learn, preach, and teach the Christian life. But they are not carried along by the, as the prophets and apostles of old, speaking under inspiration and errant and infallible. I am not teaching this way. That is not happening today. The scriptures are sealed. Do you believe the authority of the scriptures for doctrine? Or are you the authority? Or maybe you might have your comments of some Ph.D. down here in Fuller Cemetery. I, I would suggest that you depend on someone who has um, died for you, rose from the dead, and he's warned you about hell and promised you heaven. <laughs> That's better confidence. Fourth, we have the believer's duty regarding doctrine. 
You and I are to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.13. The responsibility is mine alone, to hold fast. The word means to possess and not let go. It's an imperative command in the present active tense to be ongoing. The word sound, again, is the word for hygiene. It means good health, unmixed with air and incorrupt. That's how it's used. You and I are to take heed to ourselves and unto the doctrine and continue in them, 1 Timothy 4.16. The two imperative commands in the present active are ongoing and they have a twofold benefit. First, you will save yourself. Second, you will save those that hear you. Wow. You and I are to pass on what we have learned to others who shall be able to teach others discipleship also. Second Timothy 2.2. Another imperative command. Due to the privilege of receiving, due to the responsibility of giving out. Either you are a sea of Galilee or a dead sea. A sea of Galilee receives water from three waterheads. Some of you will be there this next month in Israel with us. We'll see those. And it flows out through the sea of Galilee down to the dead sea. The dead sea receives this water and it gives nothing out so it's dead. If you're a sea of Galilee, you're living, you're alive, you're refreshed. If you're just a taker, you're dead. You and I are to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Second Timothy 4, 2 through 4. To convince, rebuke, and exhort four imperative commands to be ongoing along with the word to preach. How? With all long-suffering and doctrine. The daskalia, or teaching. There it is again. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ear away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Who's Paul talking about? He's talking about believers. They turn away from the truth to deceivers. He's not talking about non-believers. Okay? Titus 1.9, you and I are to be holding fast to the faithful word we have been taught. Why? That he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict the scriptures. So that you can give an answer to the non-believer, to your friend, to your co-worker, to relatives who are not Christians. And they ask you, hey, what's this thing about the Bible? Well, why do you guys call us sinners? Where did that come from? What is sin? Give them an answer. The believer is to embrace and not let go the trustworthy and reliable word of God they have been taught. 
But also you and I are to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3 tells us. The conscious awareness is the need to contend that this world is full of deceit. There's good in it. But the bent is towards darkness, ladies and gentlemen. Man is always saying man is good. Good for what? Good for nothing. Finish the sentence. You and I have a potential for good, but our bend us towards evil. You who are Christians, if you're willing to tell me that darkness doesn't attract you, please stand up so we can laugh. Even as a Christian, you better put that armor on. That dark will suck you in, chew you out, and things spit you out right now if you don't walk in the Spirit. The confidence is that the faith was given once and for all. There is no new revelation to, nor anything to be altered or added to Scripture. It's done. As I have said often, if you say that the Word of God does not work, it is the worst commentary about you than the Bible. The Bible works. You ready for the key? You must die daily, completely, or it won't work. The Bible will not work unless you die to self. It's real simple. We believe in the Word of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for doing ministry. Acts 1 8. Terry and Jerusalem, to you be do with power from on high. You should be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. We believe the model for the church is a living organism, not an organization. The bride of Christ, Ephesians 5.23. We believe God answers the church daily, those that are being saved, Acts 2.47. I've never saved anybody, I've never added one person to the church. We believe we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We believe in the centrality of Jesus, his eternal preexistence, virgin birth, deity, atonement for the sins of the entire world, his first coming and his second coming, and many other things. John three sixteen encapsulates all that I said there. We believe Jesus will return for his church before the seven-year tribulation, and what is commonly called the rapture of the church. Jesus mentions it for the first time in John 14, 1 through 3, as he tells his disciples, uh, Stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place where I am there. You may be also. And I will come back to receive you to myself. You must make a distinction between Jesus receiving us to himself and coming back with him to set up the kingdom. And there's a seven-year difference between the two. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 13 to 18. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant as others have no hope about those who have died in Christ. And he says, and we who are alive and remain to the second coming shall not, or to the rapture shall not be caught up before them. But we shall be hard possible. 
the dead in Christ arise first, and then we who are alive will be our apostles and be with our Lord forevermore. Very clear. We believe in a literal 1,000-year reign on the earth where the remnant of Israel will rule and reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 1 through 10. We believe that the agape love of God can make us one when we differ in certain doctrines, but it must not touch atonement, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the purity, the virgin birth of Christ, the first and second coming, carnal doctrines. If you do not agree with the philosophy of ministry of the church that you attend, then you should find a church that you do and jump in on the work. It's important. The modern church is becoming a high-tech attraction, and it is hard to discern what is of the flesh and what is of God. Corporate and marketing principles are often used today to run and maintain the church. Visual entertainment is being used by to draw people rather than the calling on a man's life, the anointing, prayer, and the work of the Spirit and the Word of God. Now, do you know the believer's duty regarding doctrine? Let me finish up with the way of determining what is doctrine, the fifth point. Doctrine won't be a new revelation discovered by you. (laughs) That's great. Too often it is based on partial truths. Too often it is based on a text out of context. Too often it brings glory and attention to the preacher or teacher rather than Christ. Too often these weird doctrines are introduced by new movements apart from the scriptures and more on emotions, experience, and subjective interpretation. Doctrine isn't stacking the collection of scriptures together to teach what you believe the Bible says or teaches. It must be based on the full counsel of God, the scriptures, for they interpret themselves by scripture. Calvinism is the best example of this, and you find that in Acts 20, 27, 1 Corinthians 2, 13, scripture interprets scripture. Predestination and election of a believer is a biblical truth based on God's sovereign foreknowledge. Free will and choice by every person to be saved is based on God's love and justice. The two doctrines have polarized the church into two camps called Arminianism and Calvinism. Both are extremes by the exclusion of the other, when in fact they are complements for salvation. Predestination or election must not rest on human logic excluding free will that clearly defies the scriptures. Acts 17, examine to find out if those things are so. Because God predestines some to be saved does not mean that God predestines some to be damned without ever choosing. It's not found in Scripture, yet they teach it. Such a logical proposition would make God unjust, unholy, and unloving. 
choosing some to be saved and rejecting others to be lost while knowing all of them are sinners deserving hell. How can God be good? How can God be holy? How can God be just? Predestined in election must be checked against the attributes of God so as not to demean or accuse God of injustice. Does the teaching make him less than God? Then it cannot be from God. Does it accuse God of injustice? Then it cannot be from God. Does it contradict the attributes of God? Then it cannot be God. Calvinism must be exposed as unbiblical. Not the doctrine of predestination or election or free will, but the doctrine of Calvinism as taught by Calvin which is Augustinian theology from the Catholic Church. All the reformers were Catholics that came out, but they didn't come out far enough. Simple. By the way, Augustine recanted that type of predestination, and then Calvinism picked it up. Or Calvin picked it up. Now, It could be a form of dishonesty. It could be a form of deception. It could be a form of intellectual cleverness. Whatever the motive and reason, it deceives people and does violence to Scripture. That's the bottom line. Doctrine can be determined by asking yourself certain questions, real basic. You don't need a theological degree. You don't need a PhD. First, Is it part of the teaching of Jesus? Did Jesus teach it? Second, is it found in the book of Acts? Third, is it taught in the epistles? Real simple. If it's not in there, throw it out. It's 50-year-old beef jerky. No good. Doctrine should be based on the hermeneutical and biblical interpretation. Big word, hermeneutics. Science of interpretation. Okay? Context, language, culture. Look at a triangle. Real simple. Here it is. Relate the text to its context, that which precedes and follows, whenever you study. Relate the text to the people that it was written to, having a historical background. Relate the text to an accurate exegesis of words in the original language and syntax. You do that by commentaries, Greek scholars and that. Relate the text to the subject of the particular book, because it fits in the book, right? Geometry, axiom, the whole is equal to some of its parts. No part is greater than the whole, right? Same thing in the Bible. Then relate the text to the entire Bible, confirming that truth. Then relate the harmony and agreement of the particular verse throughout the scriptures and affirmation of that doctrine. And lastly, relate the text to honest integrity and allow it to speak for itself without inserting preconceived ideas or theological bias, be they yours or denominational. For the most simple and obvious understanding is usually the correct one. So if the text makes sense, do not make it say nonsense. 
John Wesley used to say. You know, a plumb line is a sure way to know if a wall is crooked or plumb, as you know. When you drop that line, that line is never crooked. It's always the wall. Always. The scriptures are the plumb line. It shows when we're crooked, when we're off. Very important. Are you being caught up with some of the new doctrinal heresies, a prosperity doctrine that you are um, have to be healthy and wealthy due to the fact that you are um, a little God now and, um, you know, you can do whatever you want. Perhaps you're being deceived by the emergent church movement that is more culturalized gospel and political correctness and motivational speaking. Maybe you're being taken in by barking in the spirit and flying like animals and all this kind of stuff, emotional stuff. Some are being deceived by Reformed theology, which is Calvinism, extreme predestination. Just abide in Christ. Are you concluding that the Holy Spirit is not in services if people aren't speaking in tongues and rolling around? then you're an emotional Christian. You have no doctrine. Rick Warren says, the study of and teaching of prophecy is a waste of time. Jesus says we are to do both. Now, who are you going to believe? Rick Warren or Jesus Christ? Wow. Do you know how to determine what is doctrine now? I hope so. If we don't use the scriptures to learn about God, man, sin, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, angels, Satan, redemption, and so on, then we're left to our own ignorance and conjectures, which can only result in inferior and corrupt knowledge about God, man, because it is based on human intelligence. Listen carefully. I'll close with this. The seriousness of errant doctrine can be compared to a missile aimed at a mere one degree off target. The difference seems slight and negligible at first, yet the result of the error increases dramatically throughout the flight of that missile until it totally misses its intended target. So with false doctrine. At first, it seems tolerable. Tolerable mistake. A little error. Nothing serious. But as with all error, the effects compound over time until they become so serious that they may not be correctable. You want to play with your eternal life? Heaven, it's yours, not mine. I hope not. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit. And the Lord, we don't have to be scholars to understand your word. Just study so I pray for every person that's here, Lord, that your hand be upon them. We pray for those out there in the radio that you would speak to them if they don't know you, that they repent of their sins, Lord. They call in your name. For those on the internet, same thing, and those that are here. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. To turn from your sin if you don't know him. Regardless of what has taken place, he says that he is able to forgive you and make you whiter than snow. 
If you believe that he is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You have heard the word of God tonight. And if your heart is open, God has given you faith to believe. But he will not believe for you. He will not force you to believe. He will not make the decision for you to believe. You must make that step. And he will honor it. If this is your decision, I'm going to say a prayer of forgiveness, of repentance, simple. And if you mean it, he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.